This is Warrior Podcast, changing the world by introducing warriors to the warrior god. I'm your host, Elizabeth Andrade, here with Connor Shanahan. And uh, Connor, I think you have a trip coming up soon, or what's the story on that? I've got a fun vacation. I've got a, I've got a fun little trip coming up. Me and my wife are going up to New England. Shout out New England. That's where I'm from. We're going to visit my family in Connecticut. And uh, we're also going to spend a long weekend in Boston, so we're going to enjoy some time by the harbor. And I just cannot wait to see my wife's beautiful blonde hair flowing in the wind, to look into her beautiful blue eyes. And I know that she'll be a little bit shy because she's a major introvert when we're on vacation. But, uh, man, we're going to have such a blast. And you're looking at me Uh, weird. (laughs) Well, uh, Madeline's sitting right here with us, and I'm noticing, well... She looks a little different than the woman you described. <laughs> That's not my wife. The woman that I just described is not my wife. Uh, and this is my silly attempt to lead into this conversation because you cannot love somebody unless you know who they are, right? Mm-hmm. So because obviously, if you don't know me, my wife is not blonde. She has brown hair. She doesn't have blue eyes. She has brown eyes. And she is a major extrovert. She loves people. She is so looking forward to getting up to meeting new people and also hanging out with my family. But if I were to describe my wife in the way that I opened with, described her in an inaccurate manner, how disrespectful would that be to my wife? That would not be good for my relationship, I'll tell you that. I'll be, I don't I'll be, think so. I'll be calling the couch my home for the whole trip. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so in a silly way, but I think there's, some, there's something to this in the same way that as we begin this conversation on God and who God is, there is significance in, in accurately talking about who God is. So this is a great setup for the book that we have been reading, which we love here at Warrior God Ministries. The title is Delighting in the Trinity, An Introduction to the Christian Faith by Michael Reeves. And we're going to be discussing who God is through this book, through the next few podcasts. Yeah, it's a big question. It's a big weighty question. Who is God? It's a question that has plagued people for generations. And I think it's it's something that drives at the core of who we are. It certainly speaks to our essence as created beings, what's going on here? Who created us? We obviously believe that there's a creator and that's what we're going to talk about. But we'll take the next few episodes and we'll dive into this question, who is God? We'll be looking through this book. We both read it and we're going to be kind of basing our conversation off of the main points that the author makes through this short book. But really the conversation here is is simply asking the question, who is God? Who is God? That's the question. So let's dive in. All right. So certainly, I mean, this is kind of hopefully unnecessary, but maybe it needs to be said. If we are to describe God, if we are to articulate things about God, it ought to be in accordance with how God has revealed himself, right? Right. Which most simply is through his word, most simply is through scripture. So if we're going to talk about God, we ought to use scripture because that's how God has revealed himself. And to answer this question right off the bat, like there are three major things right off the bat, bottom line up front, here's your golden ticket buffet, for breakfast. Here's the main event right up front. Three things that God wants you to know about who he is that we see throughout scripture. And specifically, I'm thinking about Genesis 1 and Romans 1. We see that God seems to place an emphasis on these three characteristics of himself. And they're this. God is creator. God is eternally powerful. He is eternal power. And he is divine in nature. So creator means that God had created us and created all things. Eternal power. God has always had that power. He's always been capable to create. He's always been is he's always will be he has always been he's always existent and he has had eternal power for all of whatever time is (laughs) and lastly that god is divine in nature and what that most simply means he's different than us god is distinct he is the creator and we are the creature god is different than us he is divine in his nature 
So we're talking about a God here who in scriptures is described as creator, eternally powerful and divine in nature. And I think there's one very important point to distinguish this God of the scriptures, the true God. And that is that the God of the scriptures is triune. Absolutely. Triune. And that is uh, kind of the focal point of our conversation, because like you said, that does separate the Christian faith from essentially all other faiths that we are a monotheistic religion. We believe in one God, eternally existing, in three persons. What? What, what is that? What is the Trinity? And uh, that's, that's our heart here. But while that might come across as a complicated topic, like, let's be honest. I think that most Christians get a little nervous when we start talking about the Trinity. It's something that, you know, as a Christian, we're taught from a young age that this is something that you have to believe that God is triune, but he's one God. But it, it just seems to be something that's kind of in the background. It's yeah, it, not the major foundation. Right. It's something that we would say, yeah, I believe that. And then if you ask them, okay, explain that to me. Uh, no, thank you. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. But in the book, it, it offers a different picture. Right. It, it's, I mean, I can't recommend this book highly enough. And, and why this book is so significant why it's so well written is because it places a high emphasis on understanding the trinity as a foundational element to the christian faith because this is what makes our faith our religion and our relationship with god distinct distinct from others and in all this too like although it seems like a complicated thing we must remember and the point of this conversation is to paint the picture of this sentence right here and this is a quote from pastor jt english formerly of the village church now senior pastor of storyline fellowship in colorado shout out jt he said this, uh, the Trinity is not a problem to be solved. It's a God to be worshipped. Hmm. Wow. So it's so easy for us to like get nervous about talking about the Trinity. And, and, and we're going to talk about how we should articulate this doctrine that, that is, quite frankly, complex. That is mysterious. But we must remember this whole time that the Trinity is not some mathematical equation or scientific problem to be solved. The Trinity is our God that desires relationship with us, that invites us to know him, invites us to love him, and to be loved in his presence. Right. I couldn't have said it better myself. So when we hear the word theology, most of us, maybe not you, Connor, since you are studying theology, but I think most of us, our initial reaction is to shy away from the word theology. That sounds like a bunch of old textbooks with dust on it. Um, <laughs> but your idea here is that theology is practical. What I, does I, that mean? I think so. I think so. And, but you're, you're so right that like when I talk about theology with my wife, we shudder at that word, right? It's a big word. And it seems complex. Without a doubt, it seems like theology is a dry topic of, of discussion. But once you get into it, man, there's so much beauty to be found. There's life to be found in, in theology because this is what theology is, thoughts about God. That's what theology is, thinking words about God, thinking things about God. And this, if we think this is the most practical pursuit of our lives, what we believe about the world, what we believe about the way things are, that influences how we operate, that influences what we do in life that influences how we approach life that influences what we think about human beings what we think about systems and government and family and all these things theology becomes the most practical pursuit of our lives because how we understand the world around us how we understand how things come to be influences everything about us it's the most practical discipline in the world uh, so what is the theology about the trinity how can we practically apply thoughts of god the triune God, how can we apply yeah. that to our thoughts of who God is? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Like like our thoughts of God, our thoughts of who God is influences everything about us. And so if we are to be Christians, we have to have thoughts about God. Mm -hmm. And that's why like there's this kind of, let me, let me side rail for a quick moment for all my warriors out there. 
in the Marine Corps, one of the things that distinguishes the Marine Corps uh, from all the other branches, they have this fighting ethos ingrained into their branch of service, where they have this motto that every Marine is a rifleman, meaning that no matter what your job is in the Marines, you are prepared to be a combat warrior on the front lines. Every Marine is a rifleman. And that's why there's this unique culture among the Marines. That's why they're seen as perhaps the uh, the most combat ready. I know my army people are mad at me right now, but that's what the Marines think. So we'll just let them have this one. Every Marine is a rifleman. That's what they say. And that's why it, it contributes to this special culture among that branch of service. I think in the church, every Christian is a theologian mm-hmm. because every Christian has to have thoughts about God. And so if we are to have thoughts about God, you're a theologian. Congratulations. So now your task is, or now the question is, are you a good theologian? Do you take your responsibility as a theologian seriously? Are you able to accurately describe how your wife looks? Or are you talking about a girl that's not your wife and about to sleep on the couch for the rest of your life? <laughs> so so me, I've never thought of myself as a theologian. I think that's like oh, so interesting. So much responsibility. Um, we have to understand who God is and who God is not. God is a code word for so many things. Like we have to describe the true triune God. That is the most important foundational thing in this conversation. And this this comes off as a controversial statement to Christians, but let's just, let's work through it. And I think it makes sense. God, G-O-D, is a code word. If you talk with a Muslim about God and you say, God so loves the world, they'll say, absolutely, Allah so loves the world. Because that's how they process that word. It's a code word. If you talk to a Mormon and you say, for God so loved the world that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life, they'll say, yes, absolutely. But the God that they conceive, they don't, Mormons don't believe that Jesus is divine. Mm -hmm. And so you're talking about the same things. You're talking about God sending some guy named Jesus to die for their sins, but they don't think that Jesus is God. That's a different religion. And so I know that this sounds like at points, this conversation might sound super technical, but that's why I think it's practical because what you think about God will influence everything in your life. And I think the fact is um, that God is code word. You, you speak to someone who is Jewish and you start bringing up things of God. They will agree with you to some extent, but we're not talking about the same. They don't think Jesus is God. Jews would believe that, that Jesus Christ lived on earth historically, but he was not the Messiah. Right, that Messiah. the Messiah has not come yet. And, and so like at that point, obviously we have the New Testament and, uh, and we think that Jesus is the Messiah. So defining this word God, defining who you're talking about when you say the word G-O-D, God, is immensely practical. And I say necessary. It's necessary for us as Christians, as people who have the responsibility of theologians, whether you like it or not, I love you. I love you listening to this. You're a theologian. The and Christian life is not a life that was called to be an easy one. 100%. And, 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 but in that too, like God is not some mysterious... Well, there is some mysterious beauty to the Lord, but but he he wants to reveal himself. And we're going to talk more about that as the nature of the tree, the nature of who our God is. God is not uh, giving us this responsibility and this task to be theologians and then hiding himself from us. He's continually inviting us to participate in his life, to participate in fellowship with him. He's continually inviting us to participate in his kingdom. And he's continually revealing himself through nature and through scripture. So what about John 3.16? This is one of the, of course, here, especially in the Bible Belt, this is me. I was raised John 3.16, but that was the first Bible verse that I ever learned. That's the one you hear all the time. What is the deal there? Without a doubt, the most common Bible verse, also the best example for understanding this idea that God is a code word and for being perhaps forced to think through our task as theologians and also just think through the importance of defining your terms. So John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. You could stop right there and say, again, who are you talking about when you say God? Are you talking about Allah? Are you talking about 
the Jewish conception of, of a singular God, not three persons in one divine essence. Um, are you talking about some other religion? Are you talking about uh, Hinduism? Are, are you talking about Zeus? Who are you talking about? Who is this God that you speak of? For God so loved, what does it mean to love the world? What does that mean? That he gave, in what sense did he give? What does that word give mean? Did His, he create a son? Right, exactly. Or did That's the son a huge always question. exist? That is a huge question, especially in the early church. And we're going to dive into all that in our, in our next episode on the Trinity. That's a huge question. So I, I hope the point there is, is simple. I mean, we could talk about that verse and break it down, but, but the, the point is simple. When you're talking about God, you have to define your terms because God is a code word. And I understand that that comes off as controversial because we know who God is. We love the scriptures, we value the scriptures, and we think we have this conception of God. There is a danger for us to walk in these assumptions that we know who God is without being forced to think through how God reveals himself in the scriptures. And that brings us back to your point earlier of saying that that most Christians would say, yes, I believe in the Trinity. Can you explain that to me? Mm, maybe, maybe not. Maybe another day. Yeah, <laughs> right? Maybe, yeah, right. Maybe let me listen to the episode of WGM podcast of the Warrior podcast, and then I'll come back to you and be able to explain it. But that's our heart here is to say that one, we love God. If we're going to love God, we have to know who he is. And if we're going to know God, I mean, knowing God and loving God is, is the greatest commandment. That's what Jesus said. And uh, in this is the task to be a theologian, to think through these things about who God is and to be able to, to speak about him accurately, because I think that that honors him. And I think that that's our task as disciples, as followers of God. How do we love God? How do we know God? Yeah, that's the question. And, and that, that's where our conversation is headed. So let's dive into this, this question. If our task as Christians, as theologians, as every Christian, a theologian, how do we do that? How do we steward our responsibility to think about God accurately, to speak about him accurately, and to love him with all our minds, with all our hearts, with all our souls? How do we do that? Well, it starts with understanding how God has revealed himself to us. And as, we, as we've already discussed, God reveals himself to us generally in nature. That's what Romans 1 says, that, that there's something about creation. There's something about standing at the, the front of the Grand Canyon and feeling small, feeling like there's something bigger out there. There's something in the way that creation exists that reveals something about God's character. There, there's something there. But we would the nerd term for that is general revelation, that God has generally revealed himself in creation, and that he specifically revealed himself in Scripture. And the way that he has specifically revealed himself in scripture is as a trinity, as the triune God of the Bible. So what do we mean by that? What is the trinity? Here is the most basic definition that we want you to be able to remember. Write this down, memorize this, be able to recite this. When someone asks you, hey, do you believe in the trinity? Yes. Can you explain it? Absolutely, I can. And here's a quick sentence to do so. The trinity is, our God is one divine nature in three distinct persons. One divine nature, one divine essence, one divine being eternally existing in three persons. And there's no other God like this because in all other religions, there's only one singular God or multiple gods. And all of those examples do not lead to a loving relationship between creation and God. 100%. Like, like, and, and this is why our thinking on this is so, is so maybe uh, burdened is because we think of a, a religion perhaps like, like Hinduism that has hundreds, if not thousands of gods. And we think, okay, that's polytheism. That's multiple gods. And then we think of maybe Islam or Judaism where there's just one singular God. And it's like, okay, well, as Christians, we believe in one God, but there's also this idea of the Trinity. And what's that all about? So we do, and so we just want to maybe flesh this out a little bit. We want to we work this out, that we believe in, in one God, period. 
Christianity is a monotheistic religion. We believe in one God who has eternally existed in three distinct persons. God is our one divine essence, eternally existing as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? What does that do for us? What does that mean for us? Well, it's important. It's essential because God, as a triune God, existed eternally as the Father loving the Son through the Spirit. He never needed anything else besides this unity, besides this communion that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit shared together. It's this divine nature and eternal power that we talked about at the beginning. This is who our God is, that, that our God has eternally existed in perfect contentment, and perfect joy, and perfect glory, and honor, and praise. His nature and character has never changed. Uh, and that's wildly significant. That's wildly significant theologically. Practically for us, this ought to influence who our understanding of who God is. But I think we can get this wrong so many times. And let me just make a confession. Like, as a pastor, as someone who studies the Bible, one of the questions that I've always struggled to answer, honestly, why did God create us? Yeah, because he never needed us. Right. If we believe that God is eternally powerful, if we believe that he's divine in nature, totally different, distinct from us, he is creator, he doesn't need to create, that he is self-sufficient, that he is eternally satisfied in himself, the Father is eternally satisfied in the Son and in the Spirit, and, and vice versa, why? Why create us? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't this he wasn't this lonely God up there just floating around in space saying, oh, I think I would like to have some companionship. Right. I need some creation to praise me because that's yeah. what I need to feel validated. He wasn't this God. Right, right. And, but often I think that's how we think about it. Mm -hmm. Often we think like, and, and I think it gets taught in our churches sometimes, unfortunately and tragically, that that we were we were what God needed, that God, maybe we don't even phrase it like this. Hopefully we don't even phrase it like this, but there's this subconscious uh, thinking that God needed something, that creation wasn't complete until he formed us. That is so not true. And that's not true. And actually somehow... This actually works in our favor, the fact that God never needed us. It sounds hurtful to say at first, but it works for our favor. Yes, and so let's dive into that. Like This will change your life, and this was one of my favorite things taught in, in this book that, that Michael Reeves brought up was kind of answering this question, why would God create us? So the doctrine of the Trinity and the fact that God is, is self-sufficient, self-sustaining, and self-satisfied works out in our favor because it helps us to understand the picture of creation. It helps us to understand why God would create things. Because if I'm honest, as a pastor, as someone who studies the Bible, as someone who, who enjoys studying the Bible, I have always struggled with this question, why did God create us? If he is self-sufficient, if he has eternally existed, if he has eternal power, if he is divine in nature, different from us, doesn't need us, why would he create us? And I'll out myself a little bit and say that uh, I... I tend to read and engage with a, a certain stream of theology, perhaps, that likes to answer this question by emphasizing God's glory, that God created to demonstrate his glory. And I think that that's true. 100% I find that that's true. But what does that mean? What does it mean for God to create us for his glory? What that most simply means is that God has ordained all things, has sovereignly decided to create us because he wants to make himself known. God enjoys participation. He certainly didn't need us, but out of his abundant love that he has shared for all eternity, God chose to create us. And that's so significant for our identity. That's so significant for how we understand him. That's so significant for how we understand his nature and character. That God the Father has always loved the Son. God the Father has always loved the Spirit. And, and around the Trinity we go. The triune God of the scriptures has always enjoyed this perfect, loving fellowship. And out of that abundance of love, 
God sovereignly decided to create us and he loves us because that's who he is. Because the father has always loved. And, and by revealing this loving nature and character, God is glorified. So while I, would, I, would cer- I certainly affirm this idea that God created all things for his glory, and I think that is a helpful answer. I think what's even more specific, more biblical, and more helpful is that what it means for God to create all things for his glory is for God to reveal his loving nature and character. For God the Father, who has always loved the Son and always loved the Spirit, to, out of his abundance of love within himself, to pour out that love on his creation. Is it, is it crazy to say that God wanted a big family? It's not crazy. It's not crazy. And I think that like we see throughout, God enjoys participation mm-hmm. from creating angels and from creating cherubim and, and all the supernatural stuff that we don't like to talk about. Like God has, has always enjoyed participation, it seems. And that's significant. That's significant because God has created us for relationship with him. God has created us for fellowship with him. And the reason why that is, is, is because our God has always enjoyed fellowship within himself. That the Father has always enjoyed fellowship with the Son and always enjoyed fellowship with the Spirit. The Trinity is this picture of perfect love. And out of that abundance of love, God decided to create us and loves us with the abundant love that he has always experienced for all of time. And something interesting in the book that has been eye-opening for me, like we've said, this book is just, we recommend it to anybody. It's just a great book. It's so easy to understand. The, the book defines the identity of God. Um, and yes, he is a creator, but first he was a father. Because if you have just a singular, not a triune God who created, it wouldn't be out of love because he wasn't always existing in eternity as a loving father, loving the son and loving the spirit. Right. And maybe that's probably even more my specific wrestle was not even why did God create us, but how could he love us? Right. And the reason why God loves us is because he has always loved. The father has always loved. The son has always loved the spirit. And out of that abundant love, he created us. And without a doubt that, so that, that kind of takes away this idea of this cold, creation, like some distant God just creating everything without any affection, without any warmth, without any familial invitation to it, that's not an option biblically. That's not an option for us. Because of the Father's eternal love for the Son in the Spirit, we are then invited to participate into that love. So Connor, if I understand correctly, I guess another way to describe this would be that God the Father lovingly created and had the desire to have many children who would resemble the Son, Jesus, to glorify God the Father. 100%, 100%. I think another way to say it is that God the King has created a, a, a kingdom of citizens invited to participate in his work, invited to experience in the love that he has shared for all of time. And so we're certainly going in circles and talking about about this one divine God, this one divine nature and essence who's eternally existed in three persons. But that's the point of this episode is yeah. to simply answer the question, what is the Trinity? And to hopefully uh, demystify some of the ways that we can talk about it. And I think this is something that we can't talk about enough. This is the foundation of the Christian faith. This is so important to understand. When we understand the Trinity, we're able to understand what our identity is in Christ. That's the most practical like application of the doctrine of the Trinity is that it radically informs, shapes, and transforms our identity. So try to understand this beautiful picture like God the Father has always loved the Son, has always loved the Spirit, has eternally existed in one divine nature, three distinct persons, out of that abundant love decided to create you. Therefore, your truest self Your truest identity is one who is beloved by the Father, as one who is loved by God. Your destiny, literally what what we were made for, what all human beings were made for, 
is fellowship, worship, and union with God because that glorifies him. That brings glory to his name as we reveal his loving nature and character to understand that he created us out of his abundant love. And so this is huge for for you, for the warrior, for first responders, for military members. I think in, in my military experience, one of the biggest struggles for service members has been coming home from deployment and transitioning. So I've served in the National Guard. And so for particularly for guardsmen and reservists who spend a significant amount of time overseas doing a very significant job, doing very meaningful work, and then return home to maybe a family or maybe a culture and society or maybe a civilian place of employment that doesn't fully understand what that warrior did when they were overseas or doesn't fully understand the significance of the mission that they were participating in, it's such an isolating and depressing event for that warrior trying to say like, okay, when I was overseas, I had purpose. When I was overseas, I was engaging in a mission that was significant and now I'm home and no one cares. That's got to be so hard. You just, you feel like you're nobody. Worthless. Your identity's gone. Right, exactly. And so what if, what if warrior, you just believed you didn't have to prove yourself to anybody. That's easier said than done, but that's the truth that's offered in scripture. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. You don't have to conjure up this image of being one who accomplishes things, one who gets things done, or one who even participates in, in uh, military operations. Like your identity, who you are at your essence, your very core of being is one who is loved, accepted, known by God. And also for those of you who maybe aren't serving in, in this context, aren't serving as, a, as a, a first responder or military member, your identity, I mean, your identity is still the same. Your identity is your truest self, who you are, your destiny, the core of your being is one who is loved by God. Because that's how God created you, through the love that the Father has shared with the Son and the Spirit for all of eternity. And we see the, the beautiful picture of this played out in, in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, where... Um, Christians, disciples are commanded to go out and make disciples to make known the loving nature and character of God to all people and to baptize them into this triune community, to baptize them in the name of the Father, in the Son, in the Holy Spirit, publicly identifying you, publicly proclaiming that your identity, who you are, is one who is loved by God. You don't have to try to prove yourself. You don't have to try to conjure up this identity. You don't have to pick the perfect college, the perfect job, marry the perfect person, live the perfect life. You don't have to do that. That burden is not yours to bear because your identity is one who is loved, cherished, known by the God who has eternally existed, who is distinct from us, who doesn't need you, and yet created you out of an abundance of love and invites you to participate into his family, invites you to participate into his kingdom. Connor, this sounds so scandalous. I mean, when we when we look at God in this way as a God who wants to overflow his love onto us and make himself known to us, that is so vastly different than a God who just created solely to be served as us as servants. And of course, we when our affections are stirred for Christ, we want to serve him because we see how amazing it is to find our identity in Christ. Let me, let me jump in there. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. What we were talking about earlier about our task as Christians, as theologians, is to know God, to speak rightly about him. If you know who God is, you love God. If you truly know the triune God of the scriptures, you cannot help but love him. And there's this interesting example. This is a controversial example. We won't dive too deep into this, but we will on another episode of Paul penning some of the most controversial passages, chapters in all of scripture, Romans 9, 10, and 11. 
So basically, if you're unfamiliar, Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, this dude who wrote the majority of the New Testament, wrote these very confusing, complicated, theologically dense, these high-level thoughts about who God is and how he acts in space and time. And then at the end of like the most confusing part of the whole Bible, Paul says, God, how unsearchable are your riches and your beauty and your glory? And the point there is knowledge of God, study of God, theology leads to worship. Yeah, that's that so true. Rightly knowing who God is, if you rightly understand who our God is, you will be compelled to worship him. You'll be compelled to love him, not by force, but by simply standing in awe at the reality of this triune eternal being who is glorious, who is worthy, who is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And this is, again, another, hopefully we're driving at here some practical applications of the Trinity, some practical applications of, of speaking about these things, of knowing these things, the practical applications of saying one divine nature, three distinct persons, the most practical application of this we cannot love what we do not know, right? right? That's what we've been talking about here is that in order to love God, you must know him. Right. But if you know God, you will love him. And so it's this beautiful play that we're invited into, this beautiful kingdom that we're invited to participate in, this beautiful family that we are invited to belong to, to find our place in, to find our identity as beloved children of the Father. Right. And and I just want to add in real quick, if you don't feel these affections towards Christ, as we have discussed, if you don't feel this love in your heart for God, if you have anger towards him, then you don't know the God that we're talking about. There, there is a tragic misunderstanding of God among specifically military service members. That's, in my personal experience, this is true. The chaplains that I've served with and talked to, this is true. That there tends to be two kind of spectrums. One where we, in the military, we commonly view God as, as a fairy. Mm-hmm. One who just sprinkles fairy dust and grants wishes and whatever. And that is just not found. And this God, and this God is a distant God. The right. triune God is not distant at all. Correct. 100%. That That's true. That our triune God is near. And this tooth fairy God, this wish granting God is distant. And there's no relationship and there's no love there. And that's a tragic misunderstanding. On the other spectrum, to the point that you just brought up, I think that there are tragically, it seems in my experience among military members, but I think it's true of of all people that when we start to discuss God as father, that's a hard thing for a lot of us. Yeah. And so pastorally, we, of course, we want to say, man, it's it's understandable for you to have issues with, with this. If, if your experience with an earthly father, if your dad or your stepdad or, or some father figure in your life that you knew abused you or was a poor example of love, was a poor example of, of family, of kingdom, of belonging, we want to be sympathetic towards that. We want to acknowledge that. That's a real, valid, legitimate struggle. And when we begin to discuss God as Father, that can be a stumbling block to a lot of people who have had this experience. Yeah. And so we want to lovingly meet you where you are and say, man, that is, that's understandable. That is tragic. And we are, if that's you, we are so sorry for the experience that you've had. But we also want to say that the invitation is for you to understand the most loving Father in the universe. The invitation for you is to understand the triune God of the scriptures, who is not an abusive father, who is not a mean father, who's not cruel, who is not distant, who is not cold, but a father who is abundant in love, a God who has loved the son and loved the spirit for all of eternity and who loves you and who created you out of an abundance of love. 
Right. And also, I just, if this is something that you're struggling with, maybe you, maybe you, you had a, a poor experience with an earthly father and, and have pain from that. We would just encourage you to reach out to us, please. Yes. Like if that's something that that's just, you know, you're struggling with, we're here for you. Yes. And and we would love to meet you where you are and just talk with you. Just reach out to us and, and we'll, we'll be here to meet you where you are. We'd be honored. We'd be honored to meet you where you are. We'd be honored to walk with you. And how, and I, I think all Christians need this. It's That's the mission of the Christian faith is discipleship, is to be mentored, to find people that are willing to meet you where you are and walk with you as you learn and grow and, and understand our triune God. And also for you to walk with others, for you to meet people where they are and walk with them. And I think that all of us need help in understanding our, our triune God and understanding the God who has existed in one divine nature in three distinct persons. How often can we say that? Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> something that's not easy to understand at all. It's not. It, there is mystery and there's beauty and there's glory to it. And I think all of that can drive us to worship as well. Yeah. That in this mystery, as we strive to understand the Trinity, as we trip over our words and as we navigate the anxiety and fear of speaking out loud about this complicated doctrine... I think that I think that the invitation of God is to find joy in this. Yeah. The invitation of God is to find Himself. He wants to be revealed. He's given us Scripture so that we might know Him, and He wants to reveal His abundant, loving nature and character. And thankfully, He's a God who's so big, and and there are mysteries. Thankfully, that's a good thing too, because we have someone who's bigger than us, who's who's got this all under control, and we can rest in the fact that we have a, a loving father. Exactly. Our burden in life is not to have all things figured out. Our burden is not to have infinite knowledge. Our burden is not to be self-sufficient. Only God is. That should, one, stir us to worship him, and two, give us some peace and take away some stress and burdens that we feel in life, that we feel like we have to have all things figured out, um, because we don't. But and we that, serve a God who does. Yeah, and th- having all things figured out is not our identity at all. Right. Your identity is one who is loved by the Father who has eternally loved the Son and eternally loved the Spirit. So we hope that that makes sense. We know that we repeated ourselves a bunch there, and we really didn't review the book like we maybe thought that we were going to. But, but the point here was simply to say, this is our God. To answer the question, who is God? What is the Trinity? Because that's the most practical and important thing that we can do in life. And I hope that maybe you feel a little less burdened, a little less pressure as you seek to articulate this glorious doctrine of of our God who is one divine nature, one divine essence, eternally existing in three distinct persons. One divine nature, three distinct persons. That's our catchphrase. That's our statement. Uh, But we hope that you understand that no matter where you are, no matter where you come from, whether you have walked with Christ for years and, and this is a good refresher for you or a challenge to be able to articulate beliefs, or if you're a skeptic and you've hung with us this long in the episode, God bless you. We appreciate you listening. And, and I pray that this would be a helpful kind of primer, a helpful overview of the doctrine of the Trinity. But we are in the next few weeks going to dive deeper into this doctrine and answer hopefully some of your more pressing questions or answer some of the more intricate details of the roles within the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and answer some of these kind of tougher questions as we dig in. But we hope and we pray that this episode was a general overview of the Trinity, which again, we believe is the most practical and important thing that we could ever do or partake in in life. Thanks, Connor. And of course, as always, our prayer for you, warrior, is that you would come to know and love God and just be loved and known by the triune God. And stay tuned for more episodes about delighting in the Trinity. We'll be discussing the roles, the specific roles of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to us. If you want to trust in Christ, or if you want to learn more about us, send us a message on our Instagram at WGMHQ. That's WGMHQ. 
we will make sure that someone gets in touch with you. This has been Warrior Podcast with Connor Shanahan. Warrior God Ministries' mission is to change the world by making disciples among military members and first responders and equipping them to be disciple makers and missionaries in their respective communities for the glory of Jesus Christ.